myself, what do you mean? And then it hit me how many times I had said that to this woman that I love. Yeah, I loved her. But I was so afraid of my feelings. I was so afraid of getting out of control that I would just stuff and stuff and stuff. And I would use my verbal skills to be a jerk. That's DSM-3R, jerk, diagnostic category. It's much more compassionate to have a fight than it is to be disconnected and just be totally logical. Because human beings aren't logical. Human beings simply are. There is its own logic to being human. But to impose rationality, to demand rationality on a human being is illogical. It's, an, it's literally a paradox. If you appreciate that human beings are feeling, then you'll get the most logic from them. If you demand that they be rational and logical all the time, you're going to miss the boat. You're literally going to miss the boat. So we fought, and we fought, and we fought. Now, let's, let's do something for a moment. I want you to picture fighting. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to just imagine fighting. And allow it to come into focus. And just notice what that word means to you. For some people, fighting means raising your voice just a little bit. For some people, fighting means grabbing chairs and beating each other up with them. For some people, it means, like in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, kind of verbal puking, just toxic puke coming, spewing out. Or was it uh, Linda Blair and The Exorcist? You know, that, that puking out of feelings. And that's what some people think fighting means. To me, fighting is simply farting and belching. It's releasing energy so that after the air clears, you can talk. When's the last time you had a big bowl of navy bean soup and a plate of broccoli and tried to carry on a serious conversation? It's better to open the windows and let the breeze in and then try to solve things. The order is real important. One of the things that I learned growing up with Sonia, literally growing up with Sonia as she grew up with me, was that I wouldn't die if I farted and belched. That I could get mad without attacking her as a person, but just being mad or frustrated. And she wouldn't stop loving me. Do you know what a revelation that was to me? How mind-boggling that was? That I could be a feeling human being and not be rejected. When I'm working with couples and, and, and the couple comes in and they say, I don't understand why uh, the love's gone. Uh, we've never fought. 
Okay, I know the problem. Can I guess? <laughs> how can you how can you have a relationship with your best friend and not have some fights? And if you can't fight with your best friend, who can you fight with? Think about that. Either one person has to be an Olympic class stuffer, or both people have to be a little below the IQ of a kumquat, <laughs> or both, or brain dead, or something, or there's going to be some conflict in a relationship. Conflict when it's done within the construct of mutual respect, when it's done in the construct of mutual valuing, is sort of like what happens when your battery dies because the corrosion builds up too much. You ever had that happen? You ever have your battery stop working because the corrosion is all over the, the terminals? And you take the baking soda and the water and you pour it on it, it fizzes. It fizzes, and then the battery works much better. You get a much cleaner charge. That's farting and belching. It clears off the terminals so there can be contact. One of the hardest things for many couples is learning that loving and conflict are like this with intimacy that without the ability to be me, which is going to put me in conflict with Sonia at least some of the time, and Sonia being Sonia is going to put her in conflict with Jim some of the time. If we don't let that happen and rub against each other, I would not be who I am today. Sonia taught me how to be passionate, how to fight. I had to fake it at first. You know, I'd say, all right, now I'm, I mean this. I'm really, I'm, I'm mad. Real credible. No doubt now when I'm mad, you know it. And it comes and it goes. It comes and it goes. I don't have to hold on to it. It's more where that came from. You know? Because I'm a human being. And human beings have feelings. But notice the proviso or the qualifier within the construct of mutual respect and valuing. Conflict stops being constructive when you start threatening to dissolve the relationship in the middle of the conflict. Well, there's the ball game. I guess I might as well get a divorce. Stops being fun, doesn't it? Suddenly, you get the rock in your stomach because there's now a threat in the conflict. I don't believe in questioning the viability of a relationship during conflict. It's much too important to do while farting. Have the gas, release the gas, and then go to deal with the issues. Don't try to do both at the same time. Release the energy in a way that is not attacking the other person physically or their person 
I don't believe in that. I don't believe in character assassination. And don't construe what I'm saying to go take license of being hurtful to another human being. That's not what I'm talking about. In fact, I'm talking about the opposite. I'm talking about the kind of trust that allows you to be safe enough to share your feelings and to work it out together. It doesn't mean that you take their inventory in a real negative way. You release the energy, and then you deal with the issues. You need to do it in that order for it to be constructive. You don't question the viability of the relationship during the conflict. In fact, my suggestion, contrary to public opinion that says, when the ashtray's full, sell a car, if there's any problems in the relationship, get a divorce. I don't really believe in questioning the viability of the relationship if two things are present. If both people have a commitment to recovery. What do I mean by that? A commitment to growth as a human being. And the other one, that they have a commitment to mutual respect to value you along with them. Not perfectly. But with those two things, everything else can end up being worked out. Without those two things, it's very, very difficult to have any kind of intimacy. But if you've got those two things, then you're just having a fight. That's all. You're simply having conflict. And that conflict leads to growth and change and actually enhances the recovery. I could not be where I am in my recovery without the conflicts that I've had with Sonia. Now, she was always wrong. <laughs> She's not here tonight, so I can say that. But I owe her a great deal. Can you have conflict with the person you love? If not, you're in a heap of hurt. And you need to look at that in terms of what you can do to help make that answer become different. Growing a backbone before the love dies. That's an important part of recovery. And I believe that having a relationship with yourself that's respectful and valuing, a relationship with other people that's respectful and valuing, and a relationship with a higher power where you feel valued by that higher power makes recovery the path of least resistance. It's not natural, but it is the path of least resistance. When you nurture yourself into recovery, when you put your arm around yourself and celebrate those little steps, that's when recovery becomes a natural process that you have to do manually and you have to avoid the default mode. I'd like for you all to share an experience with me that to me I think capsulizes recovery as well as anything that I know. I want you to picture what year would that have been? 1964, 63, I was 15 and a half. 
whenever that was. I'm 41 minus those years. You can figure it out for yourself. In the alley behind Modesto Avenue, I want you to picture the scene. It's one block long. And it's between McHenry and Johnson, for those of you that are familiar. Now, the scene starts in the middle of the block. So we're really talking about a half a block. And we have here in front of us a Morris Minor pickup. Three-speed manual transmission. Okay? You with me? Do you know how many times I was able to kill that car in half a block? Start out, turn the key. It was already started. Oops. Okay. I put the clutch in. Put it in first. I didn't know about putting the gas on. Boom! And it dies. Right? So I start the car. Put the clutch in. I've learned. So you learn in your process of recovery. So I put some gas on. I think it's the only time in that Morris Miner's life that it ever laid scratch. For about this far, and then it died. It must have died a million times in that half block before I got to Johnson. I want you to take a moment and go back in time to the first time you got behind the wheel. Give yourself the gift of thinking back the first time you got behind the wheel. Was it like my experience with the Morris Minor? And I want you to try something that's going to be a little strange. So kind of put your seatbelts on as you do this. It's your first time behind the wheel. And as you start to drive, I want you to carry a conversation on with the person next to you, mess with the side mirror, tune the radio, and eat a sandwich. <laughs> first time behind the wheel. Easy, right? You're sure that first time that it's impossible to do anything but just drive. The muscles in the back of your neck and shoulders are gnarled up. Your gut is sideways. You're sure you're never going to be able to do it. And then let us go into the future. Six months, year, two years, three years, ten years, twenty years. It's just the same as it was the first time, right? Is there a difference between the first time you started to drive and your experience driving here tonight? Are they the same or are they different? Same? How many is it the same? How many is it different? That's what recovery is all about. Realizing that when you first start, it's going to be real awkward. It's going to be a lot of jackrabbit starts and stops, starts and stops, starts and stops. And it's taking, it's taking every bit of your concentration just to keep the road and your car together. But with practice, the key word, with practice, it gets easier. And now, I'm guessing with many of you, you can do several things at once. You can carry on the conversation. 
and you can have the radio and futz with that, and you can do the side mirror, and you can wave to the person that you noticed going the other direction. And if you're a little bit of a type A personality like I tend to be, you can also be stirring with your knee while you're chewing on your lunch. Okay? All at the same time. But you can't do it at first. It's not possible when you first start recovery for it to feel the way it feels for you to drive today. It's going to feel like it was the first time you did. You need to accept that fact. Now I want you to go with me to a different place. I want you to go to kindergarten with me. Close your eyes and see the blackboard up there and that strange person called teacher. And she's writing things up on the board, these, these things she calls letters, A, B, C, D. Now, is it the B with the two things and the D with one? I'm never going to be able to get this. This is impossible. Feel how overwhelming the alphabet felt when you started. Think of the numbers. One, two, three, four. One and one is two or is it three? How overwhelming that felt to you when you first started learning it. Things that you now take for granted felt overwhelming at one time in your life. What's important is to realize that that feeling of overwhelmingness is normal and natural, is not a sign of problem. It simply says you're using muscles you're not used to using, that you're doing a task that you're not familiar with. Give yourself the permission to go through that awkwardness. Because if you don't, you're never going to learn to read. If you don't, you're never going to learn to add two and two. If you don't, you're never going to learn to drive. What was it like the first time you took a step? When you were anywhere from, what, nine months to 18 months, whatever, wherever you were in your illustrious career walking. How did you start walking? Hey, You know? 12 months of age, first time you let go, and there you are. Take it away, Johnny, right? That's how most of us learn. How about you? How did you learn to walk? You know the difference when you were learning to walk? You didn't realize you're supposed to be self-conscious and perfect. That comes later. So instead, you're simply in, yeah, I agree. <laughs> Adding those little addendums 
makes it much more difficult. When you're real, real little, you start to walk because it feels good to stretch your capacities. And then we learn to be self-conscious. We learn that we're supposed to do things perfectly. We learn we're supposed to do things for other people to get their approval. And suddenly, our self-esteem is at risk. And it takes the fun out of the learning. Maybe we really were much smarter when watching bug zappers and eating popcorn was what we meant by partying. Maybe we need to learn to go back to the wisdom of our youth, not because our childhoods were anything to go back to. I would not go back to my childhood. I don't want to go back to my childhood. I'm talking instead about the wisdom of youth. Before it gets reflected in that mirror of our environment that we grow up in. The wisdom that says it feels good to stretch and grow and gain new capacities instead of doing it so other people will like us. Instead of doing it so we can get the approval of other people. And we need to be flexible in that learning process. I went with my uh, sons to uh, Jesse Nathan to see Karate Kid 3. How many of you have seen it so far? Karate Kid 3? Okay. Well, <laughs> my kids will take you. <laughs> it's a great movie. It has nothing to do with karate. It has everything to do with the building relationship between this, this wise man from Okinawa, very wise man, and this kid who's busy being 19, you know, going three ways at one time. Daniel is the 19-year-old. And in one scene, Daniel's trying to talk to Mr. Uh, Miyagi, who's this gentleman from Okinawa. They've got to do this business venture. And Daniel, in his hard cell, says, but Mr. Miyagi, what if, what if you miss the train? And how often do you think about that? Oh, if I don't buy it now, Someone else is going to get it? And Daniel's saying, but Mr. Miyagi, what if you missed the train? And Mr. Miyagi says, he's driving his beat-up old truck, and he says, looks to Daniel and says, Mr. Miyagi, take the bus. Think about the wisdom of that. We go through life being so afraid we're going to miss the train that we turn ourselves into pretzels. We're so busy being afraid of losing that we don't realize that a bus does come by, that we have alternative choices. Recovery is the process of embracing the bus. It's the process of accepting that it may not be the way you want it to be, but as in the wisdom of the serenity prayer, you change what you can, you accept what you can't, and you continue stretching in your capacity to know the difference. I don't believe in accepting something if I can change it. I also don't believe in turning myself into a pretzel if I can't do anything about it. And so today, when I kept thinking the 28th in the newspaper, there was nothing I could do. 
There was not one thing I could do about that. It didn't stop me from grabbing that steering wheel from time to time. But then I remind myself, well, that's life. And I'd let go. I'd grab it and I'd let go. That's recovery. Grabbing and letting go. And celebrating each time you don't drop it. <laughs> celebrating each time. <laughs> celebrating each time you take a small step forward. You know, these last five weeks, counting tonight, have been an, an incredible experience for me. The response has been overwhelming. Even though you're here on the wrong night, according to the paper. I have shared with you from beginning, not to end, because there is no end in recovery. It's a lifetime process. An incredible amount of meat. There is no way as a human being, any of you, could digest all of that meat. It's not humanly possible. Some of you have turned yourself inside out trying to remember it all. You know, some of you have said, there must be something wrong with me because I can't get it all. Some of you have said, well, I got this. Good. Each of you got what you got because you were where you were in your process. Take a moment and celebrate, number one, the fact that you cared enough about yourself to come out in 100 degree weather week after week to learn more about yourself and those you care about. Take a moment to celebrate that right now. I'd like you to give yourself an applause for that. It's time that we start giving an applause to ourselves for putting effort into our recovery. I hope that those of you that are able to, whether it be one of you or two or three together, will take advantage of the videotapes. And I'm not plugging them. That's not the point in this. The talks are an hour and a half. There's no human way to absorb an hour and a half of this kind of concentrated material. It's overload. You notice when you get done, you kind of try to find your car and just sit down. <sighs> but did you also notice that you tend to feel a sense of, of something's different as you're getting into that car? The facts that I've shared are not what's most important. What's most important is the belief that change is possible. What's most important is the attitude with which you approach yourself in that change process. In the editing we've 
we've taken them down into half-hour chunks so that they could be digested in smaller, smaller bits. I think that if you watched them, oh, 30 or 40 times, you'd probably get saturated. Because each time, like peeling an onion, you're going to hear something different. That's what recovery is all about. You're hearing things tonight that you didn't hear the first week. Why? Because in that period of time, you've grown. That's what recovery is all about. Give yourselves the opportunity to get what you get, enjoy that, and just keep that attitude moving forward as you continue growing. This is not the end. It's the end of this series, and I'm glad because I'm pooped. <laughs> this has been exhausting. But it's the beginning. And there's, it's, it's important to understand that it's just a beginning. Even if you can repeat back every fact, for many of you, those of you that are wounded adult children at least, the concept of loving yourself into recovery is a foreign concept. The concept of accepting yourself in transit is a foreign concept. The notion that you motivate yourself by decision rather than feeling is a foreign concept. The decision being that you're committed to loving yourself respectfully. That you're committed to learning how to be more loving to others as well as to yourself. Because the fact is the me, 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 Marin hot tub is dead. People that want to live their life for themselves are not in good company. They're not in good company at all because there's no one home. As human beings, we need other people. That's not codependency. That's being human. How we choose proactively to be with those other people determines a lot about the quality of life. And that choice depends on the relationship we're having with ourselves. There's enough meat in these five weeks to chew on for a long time, and we haven't even touched the surface of what there is. There's a lot of other good material out there also. Don't assume that you've heard it all. This is just the beginning. Find people, look around, see who's here. Find people to practice with. To study with, to stretch with, to grow with, to risk being clumsy and awkward with. Allow this to be a beginning. Get what you get. But go back and chew it again and again and again. That's what recovery is. And again, I'm just blown away that, you know, being summer and all, that, that this kind of response was there. But it tells me that there's a lot of folks that want another choice, that want different choices than they have right now. And it makes it worth doing. 
So I want to thank you very much for your patience over these five weeks. I want to thank you for your commitment to yourself, not only in being here, but letting this be a starting place. And just keep on keeping on. Thank you very much. And that concludes Building Recovering Relationships. Thank you.